Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. So one of the top two things couples argue about is sex. And one of the major reasons I hear about why clients come to me is that they've become like roommates. Now, there's also increasing evidence that couples are having less sex than ever, and maybe that's you. And if you're the partner who wants more physical intimacy, this could be quite hurtful and frustrating. And if you're the partner with the lower libido, you might be wondering what the big deal is. Well, to answer that question and to address what can make your sex life better, I've invited my colleague, Janae Paulette back on the show. She's an intimacy coach and the author of Living an Orgasmic Life, Heal Yourself and Awaken Your Pleasure. So Janae, thanks for coming back on and talking about what's, what's a really important topic. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm super happy to be here. And you know, I love talking about intimacy and sex, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not, not just normal dinner time conversation, you know, and, I, and, I, and actually I think, that's, I think that's one of the problems is that, you know, we have this society that, that uses sex advertising, all of this stuff. And so it seems like it's everywhere, but actually in people's bedrooms or even at the kitchen table, it's not there. So what's going on? And more importantly, maybe what's not going on in the bedroom these days? Yeah, that's such a great point. Like we really are totally schizophrenic. We're like this very, like, it's all about sex and sexy commercials and you know, sex sells, and yet it's really hard for people to actually have real conversations around sex. Um, so what's going on? Well, so many different things are going on <laughs> and not going on at the same time. <laughs> yeah, because I, 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 I just asked you like, okay, in, you know, in five minutes, tell me the history of the world, right? You know, it's that kind of a question. Right, in five minutes, like, the history of the world is that, um, Sex has always been a hot button topic uh, for us as individuals, as a society, you know, there has always been, you know, since the 1700s, puritanical shame um, around sexuality, and we are not a free society when it comes to sex, especially in the United States and in some of the European countries as well. Um, it varies, but that's really part of what's going on is that we're not comfortable talking about sex because of all of the ways in which we've become conditioned to not talk about sex, to be told that sex is bad, sex is shameful, sex is something secret that you only do with your when you're married. Um, in the dark, yeah. In, in the dark, dark, fully clothed, yeah. In the uh -huh. dark, fully clothed, right. Um, and it isn't dinner time conversation. And that is like such a huge part of the problem because we've made it this like secret thing that has a lot of like secrecy and shame and all sorts of negative connotations around it it's not something that we're really comfortable talking about. And because we can't talk about it when there's a problem, it just 
literally gets like, you know, stuck under the covers or head goes <laughs> in the sand. And, you know, when there's no communication before you know it, all of a sudden things blow up or you realize that, holy, oh my God, we're roommates. We're not, you know, we're actually not lovers anymore. That our, our whole love life has really fallen apart. And it really stems from our inability to communicate, which stems from our discomfort with being able to talk about sex. And I know you see that. I mean, I see oh, that yeah. with clients all the time. People tell me all the time, like, I've never talked to my partner about that, or we really have a hard time communicating um, around sex. Right. And one of and, and one of the rules of thumb, and I'm sure you do this too, is, is I tell people, don't talk about sex while you're having sex unless it's, oh, that feels really good, or ouch, or you, you know, ouch, that hurts. Because, because that's me, you know, it, and it is, it's, it's so hard. And, and again, there's also this thought, because we are animals, whether we like to admit it, that on some level, sex is natural. So that if you need to talk about it, there's something wrong with you. Right. I, I, that is a good point. We hear that, you know, I hear that a lot. And um we are animals in some ways. I mean, you know, deep down inside of us, there may be an anim animalistic sexual instinct, but it has been so suppressed that that is one of the hardest things for people, especially women. I see that men, many men, not all, but some men have more access to that animal instinct. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, but for women, especially, it is so deeply, deeply suppressed. Again, because of the shame, like, oh, I'm not supposed to act like that. I'm not supposed to make those type of noises, you know, that um, it, it doesn't become spontaneous. You know, this whole sex is spontaneous kind of, <laughs> sex should be spontaneous kind of thing. It's bogus by and large. You know? well, but, but isn't some of that, you know, because again, this goes back to, you know, when, when, we're, when we're first with somebody, when, when that animal sexual attraction is at its zenith, it's at its height. It's like sex is, I mean, I'm not going to say it's always easy, but, but it seems to be a lot more natural, the kind of, you know, and maybe, you know, the, the rip your clothes off, you know, just go at it, you know, full force seems to be the, the ideal or the, you know, it's like anything else about those in love feelings that, you know, they are, they are bio, biologically driven and, and they can't last. I mean, just because we'd be exhausted all the time. Right. And, you know, and, and they're, they're chemically induced mm -hmm. in our brains, right? That, you know, the new relationship energy actually releases a set of endorphins. Um, you know, if you, uh, I can't remember the name of, I know it's Helen Fisher, but I can't remember the name of her book. Mm -hmm. um, Helen Fisher talks about, and other researchers have talked about, like literally there are endorphins that are released, hormones that are released in our body in the beginning of a relationship because mother nature really wants us to procreate. Yes. <laughs> Um, and, and that's, you know, a little bit of, it's wonderful and it's juicy and it creates connection. Um, and it can't possibly last because you're right. We would be exhausted um, and the endorphins just die down after a period of time. And so, you know, that initial like surge and new relationship energy when everybody is kind of like ripping their, their clothes off. 
um, doesn't is not sustainable. And usually also it's it's not really that there's not a lot of there's not a lot of deep connection and intimacy there. It's well, really more of a physical attraction and connection and the deepening of the relationship really happens over time. So so that brings me to to this question. Um, and, and I think why it why intimacy sex presents a problem in many relationships is, you know, because it's like, you know, what is the big deal about sex? Why does, you know, why does being intimate, having sex even matter in a relationship? And I think that's where you're starting to go with this deeper connection, right? Yeah. Um, well, I think that, um, you know, intimacy in particular when you think about intimacy into me see, right? If you break it down phonetically into me see, really is the space of being able to allow yourself to really open your heart to somebody and to have a very, very deep connection at a level that we most people don't have with other people except for maybe our children, right? There's a lot of, usually, there's often a lot of intimacy and connection with your kids before they're teenagers. <laughs> but, yes. you know, certainly, right? Certainly and when please, and please understand, we're not talking about you're not having sex with your kids. It's, that's a whole different thing. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. No, no, really. But, but, you know, this is just a very, very deep level of connection. And, and, uh, and when we really open ourselves up, fully open ourselves up to our sexuality and to our partner, we are at our most vulnerable. When you are, you know, spread eagle across the bed and having orgasms, there is hardly anything more vulnerable than that, um, than, you know, maybe childbirth. I'm just thinking about from a woman's perspective, right? But it's a very, very vulnerable place to be. Um, and it's a very deeply connected place to be. And, um, sex is, I think really sex and intimacy. And, you know, some couples are fine not having like PIV sex, meaning penis and, and vagina sex, which often can't happen because there's a physical limitation or a disability. Um, or sometimes as couples age, it's harder to have PIV sex, but A, it doesn't mean that you can't be sexual, and B, it also doesn't mean that there doesn't, that there shouldn't and can't be intimacy, because you can have intimacy without sexuality, right, without having, you know, PIV sex, but the intimacy piece is really the key that keeps couples connected. I've seen, and I know you too have too, like I've seen couples who aren't having sex, but they come in in pretty good shape because they're still cuddling, they're still touching, they're still holding each other at night. They still have that intimate connection. And then we just need to work on the sexual piece. But what often happens, which is what happened in my own 26 year old marriage is once the sex stops altogether, right, for whatever reason, um, then the intimacy often starts falling apart as well. And then there's just a much, much wider gap between the two partners that makes it harder for them to come back to sex and intimacy. I'm so glad that you're talking about sex and intimacy being a little bit different, because I have always said that, um, 
Christopher Reeve and his wife, Dana, were still intimate even after he had that horrible accident. You could tell by the way that they interacted with each other. And he was paralyzed from the, you know, <laughs> from the upper chest down. So, so they could not engage in, in regular sex. But, but you could still tell by the way they interacted with each other. And, you know, so, so people get caught up in um, the sex act itself versus what's behind it. And, and I think that's where, um, you know, because, I mean, one of the things is it's easy to quantify sex. You can, you can know when you last had it versus these other things that are part and parcel of it, right? Not, not just the act itself, but, but everything that's involved with it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think like I like to talk about, we have to redefine what sex is. And that's a, a big piece. Like I said, most people think sex is penis and vagina. Right. <laughs> if I had an orgasm, we had sex. Right. But if we're lying there and we're talking, you know, telling each other what we'd like to do to each other without doing it, that doesn't constitute sex. I disagree with that. Mm -hmm. You know, in my opinion, anything that creates erotic feelings for either partner is basically having a sexual experience, right? Um, and if we can really redefine sex, it provides a like, you know, the, t the gourmet table becomes like there's so many more options on the table. And then we can feel less pressure about having to have intercourse, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because that's not something we feel like doing right now, or our bodies can't do that right now. Um, and so that's a huge thing. If couples can really rework what it means to have sex, mm -hmm. that will really help them feel like they're having more of a sexual relationship, right. even if they're not having sex. Right. And I kind of like the idea of expanding sex into the intimacy realm instead of taking intimacy and trying to shove it into this, this rigid definition of sex. And it's the intimacy that creates right. the connection that we, that we want. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes. Like, yeah. like, you know, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Missy is the piece that really for a lot of people makes sex more than just juicy. It makes it deep. It makes, it makes our heart expand. Right. And, and I think that's what intimacy is about, about really being in a place where you can truly open your heart, you know, even though it might be painful to open your mm -hmm. heart to another person at a very, very deep level and reveal things about yourself that um, you don't normally reveal. Absolutely. So this is Happily Ever After is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking intimacy and sex with Janae Paulette, intimacy coach and author of Living an Orgasmic Life, Heal Yourself and Awaken Your Pleasure. And at the risk of too much information, my own marriage has not been immune from intimacy challenges, so I get it. It's a really personal subject that couples often don't even talk to each other about, let alone anyone else. But intimacy, physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, you name it, is an innate need for humans. Yes, you and your spouse probably have different levels of desire, and that's normal. What's not is living in deprivation. 
So if you would like to improve this aspect of your relationship, I can help. Send me an email or give me a call and schedule your Create Your Happily Ever After strategy session. You can reach me at area code 919-924-0463. Again, that's 919-924-0463. Or you can send me an email to leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching, N as in Nancy, C as in charlie.com. And now I want to get back to this really important conversation with Janae. So in your book, which I highly recommend people get and read, um, you talk about something called the sexual blueprint. What is this and why is it important? Yeah, so I think the sexual blueprint is critically important for us to understand. And um, we all have a sexual blueprint. Our sexual blueprint is really based on the messages that we received about sex growing up as children from our parents, from religious institutions. A lot of us have gotten, you know, brainwashed by various religious institutions, by cultural institutions. So the messages that we received, as well as early and initial sexual experiences. So the experiences, child, early childhood sexual experiences with exploring our bodies and um, possibly shame that might be associated with that, mm -hmm. as well as early childhood, uh, early like first sexual experiences, first or secondary sexual experiences, like how that formed in our body. But most of it is from early childhood, just like so much of what happens as adults were imprinted in us as children. And it's not just the messages we received, but also how sexuality um, was modeled mm -hmm. by your parents, you know, <laughs> did they- Oh, Janae, our parents never had sex, come on. Never, <laughs> right, mine definitely did. Uh, you only know, as, not only as many children as in our family did our, did our parents have sex. Right, sexuality and intimacy, both right. of that. And I hear that a lot, you know, not just from the sexuality piece, but like, my parents never, I never saw my parents hold hands. Or as a child, I was never hugged. I was never touched. Well, how does that impact us as an adult? It makes touch something that's uncomfortable for us, right? right? Um, and so all of these messages combine to form our, our imprint around how we view sex as an adult and then how that plays out in our adult sexuality. So sexual blueprints are really important. And the more you understand your sexual blueprint, and often it's discomfort and shame associated with, and, and, and very often frequently also trauma. Mm -hmm. So obviously if there's been sexual abuse, physical abuse um, of any type, that also impacts your sexual blueprint, your feeling of safety of trust of the opposite sex or possibly even the same sex, right? All of that really affects our sexuality um, and our intimacy. Yeah, and, I, and, and again, this is, you know, this is where I spend a lot of time working with my, with my clients about what happened to them as children. And a lot of time, I mean, and again, it isn't necessarily any kind of trauma. It's just the inputs that they get, the messages that they get and 
and the messages aren't necessarily factually accurate because we don't, our memories are not, you know, are not little video cameras. Um, but it's the, it's, it's what we take away from those messages and, and you know, and, 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 and right now we're, I mean, well, at least probably since you and I were children, um, you know, there's been a lot more overt sexuality. I mean, you know, cause back in the day it was like, you know, you go back to, I love Lucy and they couldn't sleep in the same bed. Or that was like, you know, if, if, if you had a couple in the same room, at least one of them had to have at least one foot on the floor. I mean, there were some really archaic kind of things going on. Um, but now with, with you know, the internet and, and the easy access to pornography and easy access to just, just again, what we were talking about sexuality being used in, in advertising, I think there's a lot of mixed messages. There's a lot of confusion. And, you know, and again, we do the Facebook, whatever about, oh, these people are, you know, these, you know, this, these people, their lives are fantastic. You know, it's like, no, 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 nobody's, nobody's being honest on the internet. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's craziness. So, so, you know, so we end up with these weird or potentially maybe weird is not the right word, but maybe distorted is a better word. Uh, ideas about what's normal or like you said, we might have been shamed as, as children. I mean, I remember, um, I remember there was a little boy who lived across the street from me. We were two weeks apart and, and you're know, doing, the, doing the playing doctor kind of thing when we were probably five, mm -hmm. you know, which is like, <gasps> you know, people are like freaking out, <laughs> you know, but, but kids are curious. Yeah, I mean, kids are really curious, but, you know, don't underestimate, I mean, it just happened with a client I was working with, don't underestimate the impact of that being caught playing doctor with a friend, right? Don't ever underestimate the impact that has on how we view sexuality, like our feeling like bodies are not discoverable. Mm -hmm. It's nasty or naughty to touch your own body. Well, that impacts our desire, our ability, our comfort with giving ourselves pleasure, right? Um, and could affect our ability of giving a partner pleasure or being able to receive pleasure as well. Well, well and I think that that second one, being able to receive pleasure, because if we're, you know, and I've, I've, I've known you for a long time and we've talked about this a lot, that if, if, if you don't know what feels good to you, how can your partner do it? It puts right. your partner at, you know, at, at, you know, behind the eight ball. It's like, well, if you don't know what feels good, then, then, you know, and again, it's that whole thing about, oh, we can't do these things because it's shameful or, you know, you know, nudity is bad, or you have to have this perfect body or whatever, whatever the, negative messages that we get that, that come from, from doing this sexual blueprint and understanding. And I think it's critically important to tell people it's not about judgment, about how you got this message. It's more, here's the message that, I, that I've gotten. What does that mean in my current life? Right. And also, I think it's really important because like when when I do this exercise, 
in, in a, when we used to have workshops, <laughs> I, I, do this, I do this exercise in, in any of my groups or my virtual groups or whatever, and I get people to get together and talk about their sexual blueprint. What they realize very, very quickly is like, they're not abnormal. A lot of us people feel like, oh my God, like, you know, I can't believe I play doctor or I kissed another girl or, you know, you know what I'm saying? And then they talk to their, they talk with a group of women or men and they're like, well, of course I did that too. I did that too. I did that too. And so what, you know, the way to really help us rid ourselves of the shame and embarrassment is just to realize like normalizing it. And just by talking about it with other people or talking about it with your partner, right. Is, um, helps to normalize the conversation around sex. And then you're like, okay, I get it. You know, like, I mean, my own shame story, which I know, you know, you've heard a million times is like, I, my little dog, you know, when I was seven years old, like, liked to lick my genitals and it felt really good. And yet I knew that there was something bad about it. And it really made me have a lot of anxiety around sex and especially around oral sex. And it took me a long time to figure out that connection. I could never have an orgasm during oral sex because my body was in this contracted place mm -hmm. waiting for my mother to come in the room, which by the way, she never did come in the room, <laughs> but she was up there on the second floor and I knew she was nearby. So, you know, right. my little body knew that this was something, quote, knew that there was something wrong, right? And so that anxiety just comes in and that's what happens, right? That's the, the road that we start you know, going down. And when we start talking about like, when I first said this at a, at a meeting, and I it took me like 15 minutes to be able to actually admit this, mm -hmm. right? Two other people came up to me and said, like, yeah, I do something like that, too. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, it, I mean, it, and, and I think that this is, you know, we're talking about sex, intimacy, but I think this is true about anything. We, 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 we think we're the only ones, whatever, whatever it is. And, you know, imposter syndrome or, or sex issues or what, I mean, whatever it is, we, we all think we're the only one and other people are going, what are you talking about? I have this too, you know? Um, and, and again, this is that thing about talking about it. So I want to ask, obviously, one of the things that will help, you know, that couples do to improve this aspect of the relationship is to be able to talk about this. What, how, how can they start? Because again, this is, you know, and as I said before, I, when I talk to my clients, I say, don't have this conversation in the bedroom while you're trying to have sex, because that will like, okay, ah, talk about putting pressure on people that will do it. Right. But, but how to, how can people who just as society, we don't talk about this very much. Um, and sex is so personal, right? Right. Um, and even though we all have the same parts, we, they all aren't exactly in the same place or put together in quite the same, exactly the same way. So what worked with one person may not work with the person that you're with. So how can, how can couples start talking about this in a way that, um, people's feelings don't get hurt? I know that's one of the things that is, it's really hard. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of pieces. There's like talking about your sexual blueprint, which is like, you know, a dedicated conversation. Hey, like I just read this interesting article that this woman Janae wrote about sexual blueprint. Let's talk about it. You know, I, I've never really like, you know, there's that, right. Just starting to have that conversation. But in terms of like one of the exercises that I like to give my couples to do 
is to, um, I call it an R&D night, a research and development night. And, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, so you're just like research and development scientists, you know, put your beginner hat on, make believe that you don't really know this person's body, and just have a time to explore. No expectations of sex, no expectations of orgasm. Just like, okay, like, let's just kind of just go back to being like those kids when we were playing doctor when we were six years old mm -hmm. and just start exploring. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, you know, if I, if I touch you over here, like, do you like that? Do you want more pressure? You know, just beginning to explore. And so many couples need to go back to that because they get into a routine. Like this is the routine in which we have sex, you know? Mm -hmm. It's Tuesday night, nudge, 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 right? right. Yeah, whatever. I touch her breast, you know, she might kiss me, then I go down on her, then we have sex, right? That's it. You know, we have our routine, which also gets really boring, which is how people lose desire because it's like, well, the same thing's going to happen time and time again. And, you know, if you do anything too many times, right. <laughs> yeah, get bored yeah. and women especially get bored. So having the opportunity to do A, just to do something different and B, just to take the charge off of it. Mm -hmm. right? And just to take the charge off it and say, let's just have a fun night. Let's have a fun night. Let's not have any expectations. And let's just go back to being beginner's mind and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really helpful because again, if you're, if you're with somebody for a long time, <clears throat> there's, there's this habit that people get into of, I, I know this person. And, and one of the things that's, that's always a real challenge is, is that because of women's hormonal changes, both through the month and then also through the years, what worked last week may not work today. And, th and, and I can understand, and, and, and a lot of men get very frustrated, and I understand that. But I'm going to tell you, the w women get frustrated too. It's not, it's not a one or the other. Because I think a lot of just what happens physiologically gets downplayed. And then, of course, I remember there's a cartoon called um, Baby Blues. And years ago, there was a, one of the cartoons was, you know, the husband's reading, the, reading this, this thing, you know, this article. And it says, it says here that the average couple has sex, you know, 3.2 times a week. And the woman going, okay is that newly married couples, married couples with a baby. I mean, you know, she's like going, who are these people? And, and that's so true because, you know, and, and, and in a way, I, I, I think I know what you're going to say, but, but, you know, because that can be, oh, here's an opportunity to do something new versus, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing here because, you know, what worked before isn't working now. So how, how can, how can, I guess that's part of the conversation couples need to have, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, what happened, it's not like just what happened last week isn't going to, may, may not be the same. It's like what happened yesterday morning may not be the same. <laughs> as, and, and that is mostly a female thing. And I, I don't know how much of it, honestly, is hormones. I mean, certainly hormones will affect our desire, but I think that women are just wired, our bodies are just you know, wired. And I think it's more like a nerve ending kind of thing. And, and women need a lot of different stimulation. There's really good research that's come out recently around how women's desire is all very much related to, to having 
different things happening all the time because we really do get bored sexually. Men don't. Men generally are pretty okay. Like we just do the missionary position two times a week. I'm good with that. Like they really don't have most of them. A little generalization, but they, right. you know, from a research perspective, they're really more used to and, and okay with doing the same thing. And it's not true for women. And that's a huge piece around women's desire and lack thereof of desire. Mm-hmm. So being really creative and trying new things, stretching yourselves, you know, in in as many directions as you can stretch. Sometimes it's even like, let's have sex in the living room or let's have sex in the bathroom, Mm -hmm. right? Just even changing the location can create some excitement and some desire. And in in long-term relationships, really long-term relationships like yours, right? Like you really need to make it a priority and you need to really focus on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And you need to create all of these different, you know, ways in which sex can happen that's fun and exciting and interesting and different. And you need to know more about like what your desires are, which is probably another podcast. You could talk a whole another podcast about core desires. But I mean, that's just right. a big piece of really understanding that, you know, we need variety. Women need variety in sex. We all need, we, we need to understand that. We need to acknowledge it and we need to create that and plan for it. And it's, and it's the planning for it that I think is, is a part that gets lost in, in the busy. And, and, and maybe that's why people aren't having as much sex is because the, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, and sex needs not to be looked at like as a chore because again, please, no, nobody, it's like, okay. Um, but it's this idea. Okay. A lot of people do look at, I mean, oh, I know. And right, because so many women do look at it and men as a chore. It's something that I have to check off my, you know, it's, it's on the it's on the checklist list to keep my partner happy, and then that creates resentment as well, right? And the resentment starts to make you lose your desire. So when we ask about right. why women are losing desire, you know, service sex. Who wants to have service sex? Even if you end up having an orgasm, right? You know, and you end up having pleasure, it still isn't something that's coming from a place of desire, right? And so you know, so so I think that you know, because I'm I'm sitting here thinking about you know, a prototypical couple. Because when when I ask about you know, um, what what is what is your sexual pattern? What is this? And it's usually like right before we go to bed on a weeknight, you know, and, and it's kind of like, yeah, that's probably not, you know, that's, that's probably not going to keep it going over the long term. And, and I know that especially when people have children, mine are now adults. So that's, you know, there, there is an end in sight people. I do tell you, know, <laughs> they do eventually grow up, but, but, you know, that's, that can be really hard. Um, you know, and again, part of that, you know, shame because you know, my, 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 one of my kids just told me, it's like, yeah, we knew what it meant when the door was closed. <laughs> Good. You know, um, you know, which is like, okay, you're trying to keep it quiet, but, um, but part of it is it's, it's, I mean, yeah, you don't necessarily want your kids walking in on you, but, but, but again, going back to the sexual b- blueprint is like, do you want to know that you're, that you're, I mean, obviously on some level, you don't want to know that your partner, that your parents were doing that, but it's actually what normalizes it for you, I think. Yeah. I mean, definitely it's, I, I, I tell 
couples with young parents, young kids all the time. I'm like, you know, when, when they're old enough to get their cereal and watch TV, you know, A, you need to have a lock on your bedroom door and B, you need to tell them mommy and daddy have private time on Saturday morning. So you've got your TV and if there's, you know, if it's an emergency, right. you know, come we'll, knock on the door, right? Knock on the door, but mommy and daddy need to have private time. And that's an important message that kids get. So I mean, we could talk about this for a lot, but, but I, you know, I do think that it's really important for people to really take a look at this aspect of their relationship because, because that's part of what keeps us together. That's part of what keeps us connected. And we, you know, and, and so where can people learn more about you? Where can they get your book and all that good stuff? Okay, great. So um, I have a website. It's called Power of Pleasure, powerofpleasure.com. Um, and on that website, I have um, a really great video for women on how to reclaim your desire and my sexual blueprint um, is there as well. And my book, you can find information about it there or at Amazon um, under uh, the name of the book, which is Living an Orgasmic Life. Okay. So what I want people to know is no, marriage does not have to be the place where sex goes to die. But like a lot of things, it will suffer if it isn't made a priority. And intimacy of all kinds is key to your marriage, marriage's health, and touch is actually critical for your emotional health. And sex could be a great way to increase connection. So my question is, what would help you deal with whatever is getting in your way? And hopefully you found some really good answers on this program. And until next week, stay loving.